Comic Book Club News gives you the comic book news you need to know first thing in the morning every weekday in the form of digestible three to five minute long podcasts. Comic Book Club News recaps breaking news stories from Marvel, DC Comics, and beyond Monday through Friday. New episodes drop 6 a.m. ET in the Comic Book Club News feed so they're ready for you when you're ready for the day. Comic Book Club News. You hear it second or third, possibly fourth. What is up, everybody? Welcome to Comic Book Club. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. I'm Pete. And we're coming to you live from a couple places on the internet. We're live over on Facebook and YouTube and Twitch and Twitter. Maybe you're listening to this later on Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. It's all good. Mm. And guys, we have a great show for you tonight. Very excited about this. We got a fresh one. Yeah, we got a banger. We got a banger coming your way, right? That's what people say. Yep. Uh, yeah, that sounds really natural coming out of your mouth. <laughs> sounds really good. Oh, cool. Uh, Thanks, guys. This is going to be baller, I think. <laughs> mm, mm. We're really going to heat it up tonight. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> All right. Well, why don't we get into it? Because we have some amazing guests for you. And we're going to start it off right here. He is the creator of the new book, Blackula, Return of the King. Among yeah. A ton of other things that we love. Rondi Barnes, everybody. Hello, Rondi. Hey, hey. Hello. Hello. Uh, hello. Hello. Rodney, so excited Welcome. to chat with you about all of this stuff. Uh, there are a bunch of books you've been creating that we've been absolutely loving, but I want to kick it off with the new one first. Blackula, Return of the King. Or rather, the kind of new one. It came out in January, I think. Is yes. that right? Yes. Okay. Uh, well, this, I, I've read a bit of this book, and it is an absolutely wild reinvention of Blackula. Where did yeah. where did the initial germ of the idea to try to tackle this come from? When I was nine years old, um, my mother took me to a double feature of Blackula oh, nice. Scream, Blackula Scream. Um, yeah. And up until that point, I'd never seen, like, um, I don't know if you call Prince Mama Walby, a.k.a. Blackula, a protagonist or an antagonist, because he's sort of like an anti-hero in a weird kind of way. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'd never seen, like, a character of color sort of driving a horror film. I loved the Hammer films as a kid, um, mm. and I loved the Universal Monsters, but we never showed up, uh, unless it was for a second. And so uh, I see this movie and I fall in love with it and the audience's reaction to it. And this was during a period of time where people would talk to the screen and throw popcorn at the screen and were very engaged. So all of it. That never happens now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) We don't go to the movies anymore. So, yeah. But uh, unless it's a Marvel movie. But um, so I, uh, I fell in love with it. And then over the years, as I got older, I started to see the more problematic just uh, elements of black exploitation, um, the lack of of a budget that they had. I just started to see the holes. And right. so as a budding novice wannabe writer, I said, if I ever got an opportunity to sort of revisit this, what would I do? And it always struck me, it was kind of weird to me that in the first 10 minutes of the movie, spoiler alert, Dracula turns Prince Mama Waldi into a vampire. And then we never mentioned Dracula ever again. He just kind of <laughs> goes away. Get out and I was here. like, you know, you have two movies now, and he never talks about Dracula, being pissed at Dracula, or anything about Dracula. 
why wouldn't he go after the guy that sort of ruined his life and, you know, changed the course and trajectory of his life? And um, that, to me, seemed like good fodder for a story. Well, so what was it like then taking this and translating this into a comic book? I mean, obviously, we've seen vampires in comic books before, but you're taking something that was on the screen and mm -hmm. moving it into a very different art form. Expensive. Um, <laughs> word that comes to mind. Uh, are you talking about the literary rights or are you talking about the actual doing of the thing? I mean, I guess a little bit of both, just in terms of the process of taking something like that and adapting the property. Yeah, I was... Uh, I happened to be talking to Alana Mayo, who's the president of Orion Pictures, who was a, um, she used to run Michael B. Jordan's company, Outlier Society. And I was writing a movie for them and a monster movie for them in New Regency. And just happened to start talking about Blackula. And it was one of those things where the movie had been in development at various times over the last 20 years and is still in development right now. But I had this idea. And I told her I had, you know, I write comic books and I'd love to be able to adapt this in some way, but have no idea how I'd go about getting the rights. And she said, let me look into it. And within like a week, she had cut through a lot of the red tape and as Orion is sort of connected to MGM and gotten the rights for me and uh, worked, about, worked everything out and um, started thinking about the story and more of a... Uh, okay, now it's gone from theory to this could possibly happen. What exactly do I want to do? And the first thing was the look of the book. I think you needed a bridge from the 70s black exploitation idea of what Blackula was to a modern day idea and look. And then it, it was trying to factor in what do you keep from that era and what do you sort of modernize? Mm -hmm. And I always liked the uh, William Marshall, uh, late great William Marshall who played Prince Mama Waldi in the movie. Um, always thought he approached, he was the best thing about the movie because he took it so seriously. It was almost like Bella Lugosi in a way, the way he yeah. approached Dracula. And I was like, all right, the way that he spoke, you know, he was so eloquent with the way that he talked and he was a Shakespearean actor and he had done Othello on Broadway. And I wanted to write a book that sort of was an homage to him as well and the way he approached the character. And then also trying to be empathetic to the idea of uh, a vampire that woke up 50 years later from the movies to a world that moves a lot faster um, with technology. Um, its sensibilities are different. Um, you know, and factoring all of that into a larger idea than just a guy who kind of ran around the hood fighting people. Um, and then the next thing was who was the best person to sort of uh, art-wise partner with. And Jason Sean Alexander and I partnered on uh, Philadelphia for 30 issues. And yeah. we both know each other really, really well. And so then it was a matter of convincing him to find time between all of his various projects to come in and um, do the art. And I think he did a fantastic job. And um, the rest is history. Yeah. It's really great. Uh, and I, 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 it's interesting to me that you're talking about sort of taking the Blackula time period and moving forward, because I also think you sort of look back, like mm -hmm. the last page or two really feels like it's referencing like Nosferatu even. Yeah. It feels like you're taking in all of sort of uh, vampire cinema in a way. Yeah, I wanted to, I didn't want to limit. A lot of times, you know, movies like this, movies like Blackula, they sort of 
segregate themselves uh, in the way that they're presented. And I wanted to bring Blackula into not just the modern world, but also the modern idea of he's part of a mythology that goes beyond just him. There is a Nosferatu. There is, you know, in the Bram Stoker book, uh, Dracula was a devil worshiper. And there was so much more to the idea of being a vampire than just sucking blood, you know. There's a, <laughs> and so how to broaden his world, both uh, intrinsically and extrinsically. How do you take that and connect him to the larger idea of um, yeah. a bigger world? Part of the canon. It feels like with vampires, there's like, there's the canon, the, the vampires, and then there's mm -hmm. all the different sort of subgenres. And I feel like with this this book, you're elevating Blackula to that like full-on canon. Yeah, that was the goal. I mean, uh, in, again, the reverence that both Jason and I have for the character and just the mission of trying to take some characters, like I said, who were compartmentalized into a smaller idea and bring them into a much larger mythology. Um, that was the goal. Well, I think it uh, you you achieved it very much so. I mean, I love the the mix of art and idea here meet in this really amazing place. And what's great is the art not only kind of leans into the horror aspect, but the suspense, the 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 way that we're kind of off and running in this comic is such a great thing. You know, you you were talked about the kind of the setup and the premise, and I feel like sometimes with the comic that can weigh it down a little bit, but the way mm -hmm. it's just kind of like laid out. And then we're kind of like off and running. It's just so exciting. As a reader, it really gets you excited for what's to come. Uh, congratulations. It's such a it's such a cool look, not, not only looking book, but just like the whole premise, the setup is just, it gets you really excited for more. Thank you very much. I really appreciate that. Well, I mean, on Thank that you. note, given that you're a couple of months out from the release of the book, uh, we actually had a comment here. This is from a behind the scene. Rodney Barnes has created a modern horror universe, uh, and it's super dope. Is this, in fact, a kickoff in your mind of a modern horror universe? Is just is Blackula just sort of the tip of the iceberg? It, and will uh, it be super dope? I guess. Follow <laughs> <laughs> that's the most important. It's already uh, super yeah. dope. That's that's always a subjective. Um, you know, idea. Uh, never. I, when I get to the point where I'm praising myself, just shoot me. Somebody come up. <laughs> um, that's when I know it's over. I mean, I think uh, I would love to be able to do more with Blackula. The character doesn't belong to me. I'm sort of leasing the character from MGM. So um, they sort of play into the idea of um, where I can and can't. Everything I do I have to ask permission for. So far, they've been fantastic partners. That said, you know, I would I love Monster Squad. I love uh, oh, yeah. the idea of what would Frankenstein and Blackula look like? What would, you know, the classic Lon Chaney idea of a wolfman? And, you know, what would those characters look like in a different setting, um, in a modern world? Um, you know, it's this weird thing, I think, sometimes with... Uh, I remember when Universal, I had a meeting with Universal, and they were talking about sort of not ditching the classic monsters, but they didn't know what to do with them because it's weird. Yeah. A lot of those monsters were created in a different time and tonally they fit the time that they were created in more so than today. So you either make them um, 
jump higher or move faster or, <laughs> you know, they run faster or whatever it is to sort of fit. Yeah, we're not as scared of mummies as we used to. Exactly. You know, <laughs> you you know it's like anything yeah. that moves slow, you know, it's like, you know, you're not right. afraid of them in the same way. So I think trying to, you know, bring those characters into today's world and sensibilities really requires a lot of intrinsic work. Like you, you keep the classic stuff and the trauma that brought them mm -hmm. into the idea that the creator had. And then you take modern day trauma and ideas and all of that, and you put it into their sensibilities. And so being able to sort of play with that world that I was so, all of this, uh, I guess the secret, I should let the secret out. I'm just reliving my childhood. Yeah, <laughs> good for you. I like from the ages of eight to like 11, I'm trying to redo so that, you know, my inner child will grow up and somehow um, feel complete. Nice. Uh, now, I'll I did want to ask you not to take a pivot here, but I did want to talk about one of my absolute favorite books that's coming out right now. There's the fourth issue is coming out tomorrow, Monarch, uh, oh, which yeah. is phenomenal. So good. I'm almost hesitant to talk about anything about it in particular, because one of the absolute joys of reading the book is we read a lot of comic books on the show mm -hmm. and yeah, sure. the first issue you always get like, you know, there's a setup and there's a twist. And after that twist at the end of the first issue, you're off to the races. You're like, okay, now I know what the premise is, but at least the first three issues, it feels like at the end of it, it completely upends the premise of what the book is about every time out in a mind blowing way. How difficult is it to plot something like that out? Huh. It's incredibly difficult. And yeah. with Philadelphia, it's the same thing. You know, Jason, yeah. uh, we're talking about how um, he has no idea where I'm going to go with the book. Um, because I do this thing where when I'm sitting there and it feels like just a regular plot, like I'm a television writer primarily. That's where I started was in television. And still, I'm in television. And I always hated TV shows where you knew exactly where everything was going. And it sort of had this rote kind of plot-driven narrative where this thing happens, then that thing happens. And just like, Alex, like you said, like there's this predictable methodology that, you know, people approach these stories from. And I wanted Philadelphia to be a character-driven story to where you went inside of the character and hopefully you empathize with whatever the character is going through. And Monarch sort of has the same thing, except this with kids and a childlike sensibility. There's a degree of innocence in the face of danger. And so being able to jump around at different kids gives me the opportunity to sort of recreate the story and to start over again and give each kid their own stage to kind of operate from. And to me, it doesn't feel medicine-y or syrupy when you're able to... Um, just completely uh, dive into how the kids are feeling and what they're going through and just try to imagine. And again, to use the word empathy, to be completely empathetic with what the kids are going through. Um, to me, that guides the plot and that takes me in a different direction. So the character stuff is harder, but it sort of informs the plot stuff. Well, and it feels like there's it's almost event-based. At least these first few issues have been. Mm -hmm. Like it's built around... And, and when you're writing that way, do you sort of put the event together almost like a diorama and everyone's on the board 
And yes. then you're like, okay, I'll switch perspectives. Or are you just flying by the seat of your pants? Mm-mm. Sometimes, I'm, if, if it's according to what real life is happening in my personal life. But yes, <laughs> um, primarily I look at, I create a set of characters. And if a character is in a book, the character has a purpose. They're not just there to die or they're not just there to feed another character's whatever. And I try to give each one of them a platform. You know, I try to give each mm-hmm. one of them, um, you know, a lot of times they're all aspects of myself, you know, the fears, you know, the, the virtues and the vices. And I try to um, build empathy the same way I'm trying to be empathetic with myself. I'm doing it with the characters as well. And so to figure out to me, that helps me connect with people better slash characters. If that makes sense. Well, let me ask you about something that's almost the complete opposite of what we're talking here on Monarch. You're also, you've been writing the Mandalorian comic book, right? Mm -hmm. For Marvel, which that's a direct adaptation of Mm -hmm. each episode of the show and each issue. So versus what you're saying, where you can upend the apple cart at the end of every issue here... Can't you have it. the thing scripted out for you. That you apple card is yeah. yeah that's, that's, all the, all the those, apples are there. I just they're glued the together. Apples, the pages. apples are glued. It's already applesauce, man. Um, yes. So, well, talk about the challenges with that because it sounds like the exact opposite it's thing. The easiest job in the world and the hardest job in the world. At <laughs> yeah. the, um, the reason that relatively easy because it's more of you know once you've got you've already got the thing, so once you have the thing. And you've sort of been, um, you know, you have your marching orders of what you can and can't do. Um, You know, you're sort of in a place where, okay, I'm really just trying to figure out how to take something that's an hour and to make it 30 pages, which is a half hour in scripted television. And it's more of choosing what stays, what goes, or how you're going to, um, pacing is the biggest thing. You know, if you can pace it to make it feel like the same experience that you get from the TV show, that's the goal. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't want to focus on one thing too long. You want to be able to um, keep it moving, keep it moving, keep it moving. And really, the 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 best part about it are the artists. You know, it's not really me. I try to create a map. But George's, uh, Jante, and uh, oh, yeah. all the other guys that have been a part of the process they really are the key to what makes those things work. And uh, I got a couple more that I'm doing in the future. And I just love being a part of Star Wars world anyway. So, you know, it's kind of fun. Yeah. Uh, one other, and I'm, I know I'm jumping through conversational topics here, but uh, for those who are listening who may not know a little bit of your backstory, like you've been saying, you've been working in TV for a very long time, going all the way back to, very notably, The Boondocks is something that you worked very heavily on, which is awesome. Uh, yeah. Runaways, you worked on American Gods, which we love. Heels, one of my favorite recent shows. Winning Time on HBO, just about, like, that's sort of like the top line, some of the stuff that you worked on. Um, obviously... There's a big thing going down with writers right now with the really? WGA. What? Well, well, what's happening? <laughs> they're, they're just like, they made some signs that they're kind of like, they're taking a walk. This is a big deal for writers. Oh my God. Writers are usually yeah, yeah. sitting down. This time they're standing up and that's the big deal. And right that feels oh different. Oh my God. Yeah. Uh, have you been, I mean, have you been on the picket lines? What's I your went out there once. Like? I'm going to go out again. Um, I've been kind of, uh, I have a knee thing. So it's like mm. moving around a lot has been an issue um football it's come back to haunt me but um uh, <laughs> but i'll be out there all next week yeah i mean it's um 
It's unfortunate, but one of those things that sort of comes about uh, every three years where you look at the circumstances and I don't think we've ever gotten a great deal, you know, and yeah. you have so many things like AI coming in to play. You have writers rooms being um, smaller than they've ever been. You've got many rooms where a lot of writers are being underpaid and their weeks shortened so that when you get a gig, for nine weeks, you don't know if you're going to work for the rest of the year, you know, and so you're sitting there waiting. You can't take another job because they've got your rights. Um, I've been in a couple really tricky situations where um, I was in, a, I've been in one mini room where uh, it was a 10 week room. They were paying me scale and I got an offer to do another show at my regular rate and I couldn't go. And a show that was going to pay me for a year mm. and I had to stay on this show mm. and the work was complete, but they had my rights. And uh. I've had another show where it went three months over and they stopped paying me my regular wage and paid me scale. And mm. there was nothing I could do. It was nothing my agents could do. And I was just kind of stuck in Toronto for um, three months. And so it's just one of those things where you can't do multiple things at a time or it's tricky. It's, it's so many things as writers where you sort of you're sort of in a position where you have to do so much for free before you ever get paid. And I don't know any other area of the business that operates in the same way being a writer in Hollywood does. And it's so essential to the actual making of television and film that you think we would be treated a little out there. Yeah. Yeah. And coming off of, I feel like the last deal um, during COVID was one where it was like, we'll deal with it later. So this was yes. almost like two back to back fights where mm -hmm. we skipped a fight year. Uh, so it's that's why it's such a heavy, heavy story. It is. I think this one is going to go for a while. Um, I think we have no choice. I think a lot of the issues are the types of issues that are expensive and they prevent the industry from doing what I think it naturally wants to do which is embrace it the way it wants to operate versus things that are in the writer's best interest. Yeah. Uh, before we let you go here, Rodney, I know we've talked through a bunch of different projects, but anything else in particular you would like to plug? Um, wow. It, so many things I'm not supposed to talk about, but, uh, <laughs> Perfect. but you're going to real fast. Yeah. Well, I'll do my best. A couple of books with the big two, um, more books with Image, uh, more books with Zombie Love Studios, um, just a lot more books. I mean, I think anybody who is in the world of comics, we do it because we love it. And, you know, for me, that's basically what it was. I started reading comics when I was five years old and was a huge Neil Adams fan. And then oh, wow. comics yeah. sort of evolved as, and he did a cover for us for Philadelphia. And, um, you know, just being able to, again, revisit my childhood and something that I really, really love is an honor. And so I love being in the space and being part of the community. Uh, we do have one quick question for you here from the comments uh -oh. before we let you go. This is from Derek Mainhart. Love Nita Haw's Nightmare blog, another book with a cool 70s feel. Any chance we'll see more? You will. Uh, she's in Philadelphia right now. She is part of the regular, the main Philadelphia book. And, you know, when things sort of settled down, because there's this big thing going on in Philadelphia right now, um, once all of that sort of shakes itself free, you probably will see. The odds are 
you'll see Nita again at her home. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Rodney, thank you so much for coming on. We've been loving your stuff. Can't wait. Thank you for all your work. Thank Great you for all your you, work Rodney. and everything you do. We really appreciate it, man. It's amazing. Good luck, luck out there in the picket with your knee. Yeah. <laughs> thank you it's a knee brace like joel and bead i'll go out there and fight yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> awesome have a great night rodney thanks guys you too take it easy i appreciate you having me yeah bet. anytime all right there we go once again that's rodney barnes you can check out blackula return of the king at bookstores everywhere right now also you can other stuff we mentioned Philadelphia, amazing ongoing series yeah. monarch fourth issue hits tomorrow it's awesome as well and the mandalorian marvel comic is coming out now among other stuff why don't we bring in our next guest very excited <laughs> to have them here as well ladies and gentlemen brian michael bendis and michael avon oming hello hey, hey. guys hello. so excited so excited to see you so excited to see both of you and so excited that you're both working together yeah. again i know that hasn't exactly stopped but it's yeah, always good it, to uh, see. Behind the scenes, there's been no no break, but we'll we'll gladly lean into the false drama of the reuniting. <laughs> what a reunion! It's like a reunion tour, back together again. Wow. We see uh, well, each other multiple times a week. We live nearby. I work with his wife all day long. But sure, reunion. <laughs> Play up the drama. It's like a reality uh, show vibe. I'm, I'm glad you both settled your beef enough to revisit this book. Uh, yes. The reason we have you on this coming out tomorrow is the first issue of Murder, Inc. Jagger Rose. Is that how you pronounce it? I don't know why in my head I keep going Jaeger Rose, like a well, Jaeger but... But you have the drinking problem. That's uh, but that's the reason we're having you on. Uh, it's a sequel to United States of Murder Inc., bringing back those characters and situations. Before we get into it and talk about the book, though, I do want to mention uh, one thing, which is we have one of uh, the folks who watches our show and enjoys our show is a professional chef. His name is Brett Macris, a.k.a. Stray Bullet. That's what we call Stray him here. Bullies. There you go, Pete. And every once in a while, he'll design a drink for the show. He usually curates a drink. And so he made one for this week, uh, which is the Murder Incorporated, tying into Ooh. it, uh, which I got right here. It's a little rye whiskey, Averna Amaro, Falernum, Fernet Branca, lemon juice, and lemon peel, and it's very surprising and delicious and yeah. it's a little dark and murky, like the the mob itself, I guess, is the idea oh, there. Oh, nice. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, you pour that to us? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, we can make it a part of the thing. I love this. Yeah. Please express my genuine uh, delight about this. I love this. It, it, he, he's a, he's a, the head chef at a place called Kushan in New Orleans. One of the best restaurants Ooh. in New Orleans, if you're ever down there. I had my honeymoon in New Orleans. Oh, cool. There you go. So you'll you get, should, you'll for the that, second too. honeymoon, go, go to Kushan. Yeah, I, it, uh, it's so, always been on our list. It's always been on our list. <laughs> so, no, so, uh, so yes. I'm hugely honored. That's a, that's a Thank tremendous you. honor. Thank you so much. We will, we will, uh, we will try to make those drinks. I don't think I have those ingredients. I'll have to go get them. <laughs> yeah, you got to get it into the dusty, like old mafia liquors. Is where those are. <laughs> all right. Yeah, that's great. Thank you so much. Uh, well, now all we have left now, Mike. All we have left is our own strain. That's all that's left. <laughs> <laughs> I have. I have some very good ideas. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> good for you. Good for you. Like uh, the jelly book for for we. Yeah. Uh, well, listen, it's a great drink, and it's also a great book. Uh, we got a preview of it, and I really love this. This is yeah. just to kind of set it up. I, I mean, we mentioned this just before, but this is a, essentially a world that's been taken over by the mob. Is that 
correct or most so, things in the world? Yeah. It's a crime comic, full stop. And but but for in comic book language, it's an al- alternate history where uh, somewhere in American history, and we do show you in previous volumes, and it was based on some true stuff. That's the other cool thing too, is that yeah. there were times in American history where the uh, aggression between the mob and the United States government was so on the tipping edge that there were moments that could have happened where the mob could have put their foot down and really like challenge the government. And there was a couple moments, particularly after when Kennedy was assassinated, when the shit was hitting the fan, uh, where a couple the families got together and a couple of the families said, oh, wow. yeah, tell them go fuck themselves. What are they going to do? <laughs> All right, tell them what was us. And, and everyone get back to work and stop fucking around. Like fuck around and find out, right? They, they got <laughs> And uh, um, and uh, his 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 opinion was that the United States couldn't fight everything that was going on, plus Vietnam, plus this. And if we push, we'll win. And if that would have happened is where we are. And, you know, it's so funny because Mike and I were were for years planning on doing like a true crime uh, historical a novel. Mm. I was, I, I remain obsessed with the true story of Murder Inc. Uh, going back to yeah. all through our history of American society and how we, uh, you know, the mob and America were built in conjunction with each other, hand like in hand, connected. sort of working together mm-hmm. a lot. Yeah, and 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 though the mob keeps like rebranding uh, uh, <laughs> uh, and calling themselves other things, it's always there. And and. Uh, so I find that absolutely fascinating. And I originally sat down and really started working on a murder ink, like true story. And um, a, f- a few things came out. Like I remember like uh, Fra- Frank Darabont did mob city, which was like a true crime mm-hmm. show. And I remember seeing it and it was really good, but it was like, n- I've, I'm learning nothing new. I, I've, I like, we know all of this, like all of this has been told hundreds of times at this point in many, many mediums. And then Mike, said back well what if the mob never you know what if what if we hit that beat and he and he he put it out there and he like yes anded this into an alt history yeah that, the question was like well what what if the fbi never came down on them in the in the 70s and the eight or yeah 70s and the 80s specifically like what what yeah. if what if the fbi hadn't really put the the screws on them like what would have happened you know because when we were thinking about new crime stuff realistically like like the mafia is just nothing like it used to be you know um i mean they're on podcasts mm-hmm. now t- talking about we have them on yeah. next actually they're on yeah. next. More like a ghost dog <laughs> now than, than it ever was before so like you know to, to create a new mafia would just be you'd have to create a new, a, an alternate universe you know because it's just not like you know the good old days or whatever you'd want to call it you know <laughs> no ne- having done so I'm... many go ahead okay now, I was going to say, next week on Smartless, Paul Anka, who is Jason Bateman's father-in-law, goes on, and he's talking about the mob in ways they never talked about it back then. Like, he, like here's who, who here's who controlled us. Here's what they made us do. Here's how we did it. I was like, wow. They never talked about that back in the day. But it's always been a huge part of the entertainment industry and a huge part of the society. And we thought, what a great way with this alternative history that we built we can talk about all this real stuff without pointing any fingers getting any trouble if you want to have fun ask your parents like if you're about our age like 40s or 50s ask them if they ever had run-ins around them and like i i was talking with my aunt and uncle one day and they just started to open, like they just 
to them it was no big deal. They 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 had a mafia phone where the guys like paid them a hundred dollars a month in Kearney, New Jersey, to just use their phone at any time that they wanted to in the fifties or sixties or whatever it was. Well, and, and it was like sort of like talk to them and you find out. Wait a minute, like that was in so many people's lives on so many levels, um, that down to yeah, using somebody's phone in an apartment all the way up to you know city hall and stuff. And talk talk to your family about it, like. People don't realize what great stories they're holding on to. And honestly, it comes out very casually. It's like, oh, yeah, I went to a mob dentist for several years. Like, what? <laughs> yeah, 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 what does yeah. that even mean? But it's real. There were like shadow services for like almost everything. Like you're saying, it's like, oh, yeah, I had a mob. In Jersey, when, when Sopranos came out, we started playing Six Degrees of Mafia, like trying to figure out like, well, I've never been involved. But, oh, wait, there was a time I was working for so-and-so and then that thing was going on. And yeah. You know, sooner or later you figure out, oh, I was like one degree away from mafia stuff. And uh, my, no I'm from upstate New York. My dad worked in Utica for a while, and he was like, yeah, the entire town was run by the mob for a while. We can talk. Like, the whole city. Wow, that's uh, how convenient. So Cleveland, Jersey, Utica, we all have the same <laughs> observations. And uh, that was part of, like, just finding a unique way to, like, get into that truth, you know, was, was exciting. And so I, I was so... I was so grateful to Mike for for cracking that open because it just it just from there the characters went flying out uh, out of us the world all the history where the where the pieces all laid together in the history of it came flying together and and it's it's the book I'm and I'm just so proud of Mike and 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 Taki on this book I I can't I can't even express it in words it's it's such a huge leap forward from a place that was already amazing so uh, it, yeah it, it's. So from a creative perspective, is that, I mean, you've done so many crime books where it's like the small, like, let's focus on the details here. And then this is like, let, what if it's all crime? So then how do you approach the story? Is it like more, much more top down and like building outward rather than sort of upward? How does it work? Well, it's always character first. If you're not doing character first, you're, you're gone. I, there's so many comics and movies and TV shows with what a world. I don't care. Like it's <laughs> <laughs> look at that production design. Why am I looking at it? It's, it's um, you really do, if the characters aren't speaking a truth, Aren't speaking their truth, your truth, some something that expresses the human condition, then 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 it all goes away. And I always get that. And I, I'm making a little joke here, but as a as a fan of things and knowing what I know about how to make these things, when I see that essential part missing from a pitch, like who is it? What is their point of view? What's their hot take on this world that they live in? It, 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 there's nothing to love, right? And and when I see it missing and my heart breaks because I see all this hard work and beautiful designs oh, yeah. get lost, you know, and we've all seen it. And we, you know, the pandemic was filled with uh, with amazing sci-fi with no interesting characters, you know? And so, yeah, so it, it starts with Jagger and Valentine and what do they want? And just, you know, you know, it's getting, you always go to the basics. What do they want? What happens if they don't get it? Why now? You know, all these things that you just answer those questions and you'll find yourself with a very strong narrative to tell your truth. Well, so jumping ahead to this iteration of the book, why was this the right time to bring this back now? What, Given that you had that first series, what was there more to say about it and what needed to be continued? Well, first of all, I, we just love this. We, we love this world deeply on, on, on a level that I, I don't think we're supposed to express publicly without sounding like a, I don't know. It's, <laughs> it's, it's right we love this world. It, yeah. it has allowed us challenges creatively, 
narratively, visually that we uh, set it up for ourselves, but we were able to like get there with it. And that's very exciting. It's also this, this, the, the world of the uh, organized crime is something that weighs heavy on Mike and I, and this has allowed us an opportunity to dive in on levels we couldn't before on any of our other material. And we love Jagger Rose. We love her so much. We literally just love her and her journey. And this storyline uh, takes her somewhere from the beginning end. So the good news is if you've never read Murder, Inc. before, which used to be called the United States of Murder, Inc., but we rebranded because uh, those are all words people uh, aren't into right now. You put them all together. <laughs> but it's Murder, Inc., and all three volumes are now available at Dark Horse, uh, on beautiful Dark Horse paper. And um, this volume is the journey of her. It's a journey of um, uh, she does something enormous and that – takes her somewhere very, very special. At the end of the first issue, no spoilers, we're heading to the Vatican to see what the Vatican is like when half the world yeah. is controlled by uh, uh, gangsters that come from the old world of Italian uh, uh, gangster world. And, uh, and we'll see some huge changes that have happened to the world because of it. Uh, now, you had mentioned this earlier, but both of you guys are great. You know that. But the colors in this book that Taki Soma does are so phenomenal, over the top. Yeah. How much do you find, both from the writing perspective and the art perspective, obviously you know her very well as well, but how much are you <laughs> leaning into that in terms of crafting the script and then, uh, Mike, for you in terms of like lay doing the layouts? Um, I mean, I just know when Taki tells when she's coloring, she's telling a story with her colors. Um, mm -hmm. It didn't come from a place of, let's just do this queer, crazy, um, uh, crazy uh, uh, color schemes. You know, they were, they were, she was, she had a purpose behind everything. Um, and she had never colored before either. Um, we, we gave her some very vague ideas. We were, we were talking about doing flat colors for a little bit, you know, cause we're looking at old comics and going, yeah, this, this is great. This holds up. Why isn't anybody doing this? Um, and then Taki found a very specific way to express everything from greed and anger, um, envy um, in these pages. Um, and so when, when I'm drawing them, I'm actually not thinking what she's going to do because I already know that she's going to follow the story because she reads the scripts and she knows exactly what's going, going on. And she's going to turn it around into something completely unique. And it's it's been one of the most best surprises in my entire career is not just to work with Taki on something, but specifically what she's doing. Like it's one of the most unique coloring voices in comics. Taki, are you in the room? No, she's downstairs no. right now. <laughs> <laughs> Usually we're, we're, we're like side by side. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's Mike and awesome. Taki, for those who don't know, Mike and Taki are, are married. He loved her colors so much. He put a ring on it. And, uh, <laughs> Taki and I uh, teach together at uh, Portland State and uh, on the on the Substack, which we're actually going to be doing in an hour from now uh, uh, cool. later. So so um, Taki, on top of being this amazing colorist, is a full fledged comic creator. Um, she's an yeah. amazing graphic novel out from Avery Hill. And so when we're all together as a as a band let's say it's trying to figure out how to use everyone's skills and tool sets everyone like mike can write mike doesn't need me to write this taki doesn't need us to draw this like it's all about all of us have a strength and a uh and a skill and when we come together we elevate and and so 
the way we do that is by considering each other's talent and what we do. I think about Taki and her palette with every page I type. I it's 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 because what part of the philosophy that went into this is we see so many films and TV shows just full on poaching the advances in color theory that have gone on in comics over the last 20 years. Like you oh, see a lot of a good graphic novel advancements in John, John Wick. Let's just say John Wick stole mm -hmm. everything that was going on in comics <laughs> years ago visually. And God bless, and I love it, and that's why I love that thing more than anything. But it does make you go, oh, right, well, that's not, like they keep taking from us, and we keep taking from them. And But it's got to be an elevated conversation, right? We have to, like, push each other. So the idea was, okay, don't John Wick this. Let's take it to the next level on that. And we broke it down to, like, complementary colors. Like, like the colors are now broken down to two colors that work against each other. And that idea was to see, like, what other mood it could, it could cause. Like, other than just full color, big reds, big blues. Like, what else can we do to create a mood and a tone and that's and that's the philosophy behind all of these scenes it's really awesome. interesting to, to that connection to to tv and film where it's like i feel like they this it the switch happened from like production design to like color correction where they're literally doing it like comics do it where they go in after and change the colors to what they want oh and i've, I've had a couple of like privileged moments where i've walked into some production um, places that have nothing to do with comics or us and I see a lot of comic book stuff on the on the vision board. Yeah. And like <laughs> office and you see like John Cassidy, Alex Maleev, you know, just like, you know, uh, Darrow, uh, like all these people are up there. And like, oh, yeah, they're looking to us for inspiration because we are the no budget inspiration board. Like, you know, like <laughs> stuff that's on our, our pages didn't cost anything. So they look to us um, sometimes uh, with a lot of envy and inspiration. And when I walk into these rooms and I see, oh yeah, they're 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 all over us. Then it's up to us to like just run ahead of them and see what else we can find. And then the flip of that is, it, I feel like in this book, uh, we're talking about the color so much, but like it feels like it's almost like thrown light, which I think is a cinematic thing that we don't always see in comics. And I think that is a real separator here. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I it, it's it's a huge. That element has gone from powers all the way through to our other work. Yeah. Like um, Mike's Mike's um, relationship with um, shadows is something I admire, and 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 it speaks to me greatly. Like it spoke to me, like when we first met, and it speaks to me now. Like every time Mike hands in the page, I get that same like visceral feeling, and mm -hmm. I, and, and, and that a goddamn why can't I do this? And you know, <laughs> like, we're doing and 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 he and I do share and discuss a lot of philosophy about this and share inspiration constantly. Even if we don't have a specific thing, like I, if I see something cool, like look at the cool thing, you know, it, it, <laughs> put, it, put it on the vision board we, all the time. So I'm so Mike, please talk about this. I didn't mean to over talk about it. I'm I Mike explaining. I, I, we share the same brain on this stuff, you know? Um, nah. I, I mean, Taki and I, every morning we probably spend about an hour just talking about either story or art or color theory brian and i oh. you know we have like these ongoing texts with some of our friends other artists and creator friends and it's just we're always talking about well nonsense mostly but then there's there's a lot of art in there you know <laughs> yeah, sneaky um, in <laughs> so yeah, it, that's just our language it's just our language to, to, to continuously talk about this stuff um 
And yeah, I mean, yeah, I did, like- I did, I did th- uh, blow up the conversation yesterday with the uh, announcement of the Miles Morales Burger King burger that did throw the conversation. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I, I apologize for that. That's I, I was huge. So- red Whopper, yeah. it's coming out. Yeah, how does it feel? Are you are you going to be there for opening day to have a red Whopper, Brian? Or are you going to go there? <laughs> oh no, no, I. It was so funny. I we're we're a little light on junk food in this house because mm-hmm. you know we're portland people we're just you know try to keep yeah. the kids healthy and you know we sure. could, it's a special occasion event i'm not anti fast food but it's, it's a special occasion i came down and i showed the kids and they all got they all fist bumped because they knew we're all going to we're going to burger but it was just it uh, it not to not to derail the conversation it was just that this it's a very strange experience to see that and then you you flash back to your childhood and how much you wanted a happy meal and how much they meant to you i just can't believe i just can't believe it at all well that's why you get into the business is to the potential (laughs) happy meal i wrote to sarah like you and no time in the development in years we worked on miles morales did we ever say burger <laughs> the more than ever popped up so it's the surrealist thing anyway back yeah, I, I can tell you that the whole time brian like i remember the early days of brian just like, picking my brain a little bit about you know you want to create this other spider-man and stuff and like believe me none of this none of this was on the radar you know um and i've seen oh. some crazy moments from this hamburger thing of course the movies one day we're in his office talking about powers and Trevor Noah is on and he starts making Spider-Man references. And then he's, he's talking about Miles Morales and stuff. And we're like, what yeah. is going on? You know, yeah, um, so never crazy. saw any of this coming and, and, and to watch it from the sidelines has been amazing. It's, I don't say it enough cause it's, it's, it's everywhere at this point. So it's kind of hard to say, Hey, you did this, you know, um, I mean, you and Sarah <laughs> and, and, and Marquez later and stuff, you know, but it's, it's crazy how you can accidentally affect the world in comics without, crazy uh, intending to are we going to yeah, see yeah. a bendis variant of spider-man and across the spider-verse are you going to get a camera no there in no, the no 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 <laughs> i i i'm very excited to share the movie with everyone uh i uh, i've been uh um helping when, when i can with lord another and it's uh it's very exciting i mean I, I can't wait to see you know when the first one came out i was uh uh i don't think i was properly uh uh prepared mentally to uh, to fully enjoy it i was leaving marvel i was heading into the thing i had some trauma going on and uh, i and so it all happened but i i, I wasn't fully uh, there and so i'm so happy i get a do-over i do i feel like well, this it, is a whole do-over for me personally. it was such a surprise like every like so many people's favorite spider-man iteration and to have that be out of nowhere and now you're sort of like you're ready, and it's this also yeah, is now such I a can, Spider-Man now, now explosion. Gonna, yeah, yeah. Now I'm gonna <laughs> bring on the animation. And also, the other thing is, it's it's Mike knows this is my favorite thing about everything Spider Verse is uh, how many of our friends have been hired and have uh. gotten gigs off of it, and it's not because of me. I'm not like say here hire my friends. It's like you know Sanford Green is working on. Oh, oh, great! I love Sanford. Sanford, and so it's it's like all these people that we really like, like on the first one, like. After it was done, Bill Sienkiewicz goes, hey, I just did the poster for Spider-Verse. I'm like, I would kill to have you do this poster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, oh, so, that, awesome. so yeah, anyway, not to derail it, just, it just, it's been a weird Spider-Verse day because we just uh, found out not only are we getting burgers, we're getting Tasty Cakes. It's all, it's all good. Hey, oh, yeah. wow. there you go. It's all coming true. Get me a box. Uh, it's all coming true. It's all the healthy. When are you going to get celery? Yes. <laughs> yeah, something healthy in there. 
But you know what's uh, funny, not to bring it all back, but uh, just before the the strike hit, um, uh, Amazon gave us a thumbs up on developing Murder Inc. as a TV show, and oh. uh, just you know, literally just uh, landed who would be our showrunner, and we were very very excited. And now it's all on pause. So yeah. uh, lots of time um, to think. So, not right. But. Yes, uh, uh, but also for those of you who went, oh, I'd like to see this TV show. I'm like, oh, go buy the book. Good, it's the book's out. Yeah. <laughs> so so I, awesome I'm point. excited for the future of Murder, Inc. past uh, where we are even today because of that. So if you want to see what's coming next, check out Murder, Inc. coming out tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we do have a question here for, in the comments. This is from Ramsey Hassan. says, huge oh, fan of Takio. Is there any chance you'd team up on more Takio or another middle grade or YA comic? Yes to all. My, Mike's nodding yes to, which is good. But uh, um, <laughs> for those who don't know, Takio is a real family affair. Uh, Taki and my daughter, Olivia, um, years ago became very close uh, friends and, uh, and remains, now that my daughter's an adult, and they're very close. And uh, uh, one, um, you know, I, I go to these Marvel retreats. I would like go for a couple of days. Me and uh, Uncle Matt would go to a Marvel retreat in New York, and we'd come back. And you know, we're so home all the time. When we leave, it's like, where did you go, right? So yeah. <laughs> uh, I was out uh, with my daughter, and we were like having a little picnic. And she goes, "Well, where, where, where were you on Wednesday?" And I'm like, "Oh, I'll tell you. You know, me and Matt and a bunch of writers, we get together." And we go to Marvel and we just throw stories at each other. And whoever has the best story, we, we make that story, right? So we, she goes, oh, you just tell stories to each other. And I go, yeah. She goes, well, I got a story. And I go, oh, hit me. <laughs> she really pitched me the line, the witch in the wardrobe. Exactly. And I said, that's the line, the witch in the wardrobe. And she said, I'll never forget. So she goes, with superheroes? And I went, I appreciate you trying to make me like that pitch. And I do. <laughs> That's good. I said, but that I, I I like the instinct to like, like yes and her own pitch into something that might get greenlit, and and then she came back to me like an hour later with the idea of Takio, which is two adopted sisters who get superpowers at the same time, and and all hell breaks loose, and I was like, that's a really good idea, and then I'm like, <laughs> did you get that from my Carly? Like I like I'm gonna make sure that like, it wasn't yeah. stolen or anything, and. Uh, and no, it was an original idea she had. And I went to Mike and I go, am I nuts or is this a thing? And then he just started drawing it. And it, and my daughter actually said, it's Taki's my older sister and I'm the younger sister and I'm driving her crazy. And I was like, I think we're doing this. And so we did a couple of volumes and they did really well for us. And, um, and the only thing that kind of stopped us is that Olivia is uh, in film school now. She's an adult making films and it's hard to like, Look at seven-year-old yeah. Olivia as a thing, and and yeah. you know, so so yes to doing more. We love the genre, we love the space, uh, and we actually had a third volume uh, that we wanted to do. We just got distracted by Murder Inc. So a lot of times it's just a matter of oh yeah, we did that, and we want to do other things, and there's only so many so much time in the day. But yes is the answer. I've written a bunch uh of it. Did it? Did it? Were you jealous of your uh, daughter's ability to get rejected and come back with a winning pitch an hour later? Because <laughs> yeah. like, I certainly am. I, that's a skill I want. I would be crushed for the rest. Yeah, of the exactly. Day. She's yeah. like, got it. Yeah. Here's a winner. <laughs> she would have gone. God damn it! That's she would have learned. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we got another one here. This is from Michael Tillman. Any updates on when we get more phenomena? 
Yeah, it's um, uh, happy to report we're we're on board. If you follow uh, um, Phenomena, is a book uh, series I do with Andre Lima um, uh, through Abrams, and uh, it's the only book I have right now that isn't at Dark Horse. But um, it's this uh, one. Ooh, hello. It's this wonderful another, and 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 it is YA too, uh, technically. So if you're looking for more YA, this this would be it. Just not from Mike and myself. But yeah, the second volume will be out. Um, uh, for Christmas this year, and uh, and so will Volume Three the next year. It's a three-volume uh, series, and um, if you follow Andre on Instagram or myself, you can see how absolutely stunning this second volume is. And it was already stunning. I, I, I can't believe what's coming out of this person and how quickly it's coming out of him too. It's it's quite stunning. So it's coming. If you want to watch it get made, you can follow Andre on Substack and or follow him on Instagram, and you can watch it unfold. If you need a little phenomenal boost, it is uh, nice. I, I, again. I, I'm so amazed by Andre. I, I'm just like I feel like I'm just holding on to for dear life to be part of the collaboration. It's amazing. Uh, not to take a swerve, but Mike, uh, I just wanted to give you a shout out about Blue Book, which we have oh, been loving. Oh, it is oh, yeah. so good. And it feels like <laughs> nothing against this book that we're extensively talking about, but it really feels like it's taking your art to a very different level and a very different place. The angles that you're using are very different. Uh, what has this experience been like for you and what has it been pushing you in this way? Um, it's been really great working with James. You know, he shares the same love of weird fringy stuff that I do, um, the same sort of sensibilities. Um, but I, I think why this book feels different is because it does, it, it has to be pure storytelling. And, and what I mean by that is like, there's nobody being punched. There's nobody jumping through yeah. glass, you know, and, and those kind of action stuff, which I love, it's my bread and butter, um, does a lot for you, you know, but if, if you only have camera angles, shadows, body language, the looks in people's eyes to tell the story, um, you're going to find new and, and, and really interesting ways to, to tell it. And, and honestly, I, I'm hoping to do more stuff like this, more sort of almost journalistic comics, you know, very real life, um, because it does bring out just a different kind of thought process that, that has to go into it. Um, and I'm, I'm having the, the time of my life on it. I mean, I'm very lucky that all my projects are things I'm absolutely in love with. Uh, most of them are creator owned. Um, when I get to do work for hire stuff, usually I'm pretty lucky and it's stuff that I'm really having fun on like Kate Carson. Um, but right now, you know, working with, with Brian on um, Murder Inc. We've got some other things that we're working on together, like actively working on um, mm -hmm. and Blue Book. It's just having, having the time of my life. I, I feel like and once I, you've I, been doing something, oh, go ahead. No, I was just to say, you know, I, I've known Mike a very, very long time. And uh, this is such a good idea for Mike. Like Mike has been to UFO conventions. Like, <laughs> and we actually put UFOs in powers for me to like just give Mike what I know that he needed. Like like we're on our powers. <laughs> like this man is obsessed with UFOs. And I just and, and, it, and it brought our UFOs into the thing. I was reading Alien Agenda by Jim Mars to like to meet my partner halfway and uh <laughs> that's so when, when blue that's book friendship. came about i was like oh my god i can't believe it's finally happened a perfect book for mike oh, that's, that's uh, so good uh, well, I, just, I feel like oh, once you've been yeah. sorry real quick once you've been doing something for so long like like you're saying like uh guardrails or limitations like this book has to be this this specific actually is the challenge that that feeds you a little bit 
Like, what are yeah. other versions of that that you would look to um, for both of you? Like, what's the next sort of like, I want to do something where I have to do it this way or like where there is a barrier there? You know, real quick, I'll just say, honestly, I love the weirdest thing in, in working in comics over 30 years. I've learned my favorite thing is limitations. Like yeah. it used to be like, you want to have this mindscape that's just wide open. You just throw in all this kind of ideas and like, you know, you know, just be existential and crazy and stuff. And like, I've learned the opposite, like in my writing. And I learned this from Taki because when Taki wrote her book, um, Sleeping While Standing, it's a biography and each story is told in four page increments. So she had big experiences that she had to edit down to four pages. And that affected the way that I wrote to just cut so much out to just stay on the, the laser like spine of, a, of, of the story. So that helped there working on Blue Book using just two tones of blue, basically. Weirdly, gave me the confidence now to color. And, and I have a project I'm working on now. Oh. I'm doing the colors myself. Um, because of those limitations that I learned in, the, in the, the Blue Book, it opened up this whole other thing for me. The same thing with the storytelling in Blue Book. Those limitations have helped me move on to um, do other stuff. So it's the weirdest thing that that limitations being able to, to force yourself to stick in the lane to not say certain things um, or to do not do certain things is weirdly way more freeing because you become much more focused than if it's just this wide open plane of an imagination museum that you can just go crazy in. <laughs> um, so what, what, what would that hold for the future? I, I, I don't know. I think Brian and I are constantly one of the things I love about working with Brian. He's constantly pushing me. I'm, I'm happy to do what's good and go, wow, this is good. I'm done. This is good. <laughs> Brian's like, no, no, what's the next thing? Like, we don't want to don't, he never wants to do sideways moves. You know, he always wants to push it to go, to go further. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, between the two of us, uh, I, I'm just excited about the next, next thing that we do. So what Mike is talking about is next year, we have a book coming out from Dark Horse that is a, 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 a sci-fi swing that is uh, scary for both of us. We're, we're, and, and Taki's involved in it as well. So we, we, um, we're, we're already a couple of issues into it. And, um, and it, it is, and it is causing us to challenge ourselves everywhere we can. And, and by the way, there's ways to, by the way, what Mike just described, we do in a friendly way. We're not like, no, do better. It's, it's like, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm actually talking about myself more than I'm ever talking about Mike and Taki, but he always takes it as it's about him. Like I'm pushing to see where I can, uh, where I can find new, new energy and new, new, new truths. Um, but what I learned in that regard to your earlier question and something I took very seriously is that there's a really great bit in one of the Blade Runner documentaries where Ridley Scott is looking back on how, boy, I had no money to make Blade Runner and it's my best yeah. movie. Right. Mm -hmm. And he goes now nah. and then and then after Blade Runner, he was given a couple of movies like White Squall or something like that, where he had all the money in the world and and it didn't really land. Right. And he realized that that um, that what you call it, these 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 things, these things standing in his way cause creativity, like, you know, like give me a reason to be creative. And, and 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 I'll do it. Give me a reason just to be lazy and spend money. I'll do that too, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah I took this very, I took this to heart uh, big time. Like like that, that's where the creativity comes from, 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 from giving yourself like, you know, 
lanes and stuff. And so for our new book, we have like inspirations we won't go to because everyone in comics goes to them in sci-fi, like like no Mobius, no Kirby, like like we're like just to like <laughs> yeah. where where what else is there, right? And and if and if the instinct was let's do our let's do our tribute to Mobius, then that's what we would do. Like that would be the thing. But but we decided no, we should venture further that's 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 be inspired by him by doing what he did which is go somewhere else and uh and that's our mindset with a lot of things including murder inc which again looking yeah. at the godfather and goodfellas yeah. and all the things that inspired some of the visuals it's don't repeat them be inspired by them to find another language another visual and a, another angle on the scene that no one else has done before well, I, I mean, tying into this discussion a little bit, I think as we've been talking around, as fans of both of you guys, we've been reading through these books, it's been so exciting to see you in this really creatively fertile period, is the way that I put it. Like we mentioned Blue Book, we did talk about The Ones, a book that we oh, yeah. absolutely love that was so funny and oh, so man, fun man. and sharp and creative. Oh, I was very right. excited about that. I mean, people always want to know, like, are you going to go back and do more DC and Marvel stuff? I'm curious, is that something that you feel a hankering for or given that you are pushing yourself so creatively right now, is that the place that you want to sit in at the moment? Uh, yeah, I, 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 I have to be careful. There's so many people like hustling for work and I don't want to sound um, bratty, but I was on the hamster wheel for decades and I was, mm -hmm. and I was running fast. I'm doing five, six, yeah. sometimes seven titles a month. So like in that, in that, 20 year period i did like 38 years worth of freelance work and i'm <laughs> proud of all of it and i'm not bothered by any of it and just this week dc asked me to do something and i went ooh, like like and and the uh, <laughs> yeah, gets you a little bit still no the 22 year old of me went god damn you yeah. wanted it like 22 year old of me wanted this email so bad <laughs> and I, I would have to say no thank you i'm because i i'm doing other things right now um, also I came from the very high class problem of my stuff is out there and it's still being absorbed by people. And the movies like keep, keep the books and the, in the, in, in the top sellers. I mean, stuff pops up selling really well that from years ago that I didn't do. So, so that stuff's all still alive. So let it be alive and don't compete with it and, and put out news and putting out new stuff is, is where my heart is. And I feel I, I'm more scared. To, it's more scarier to do new stuff. Like it would uh, writing Spider-Man again would be the biggest hug in the world. It would feel so snuggly. It would be the snuggliest thing. <laughs> it, it, it would feel so good. Uh, and, um, and working uh, uh, the little bit that I've helped on the Spider-Verse movie has kind of, kind of like um, takes that edge off a little bit. Like I'm, I'm still talking about Spider-Man today. So it's like in my heart, I'm I'm still doing Spider-Man, even though you're not seeing any Spider-Man from me other than you know the movie will be here soon. But so my 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 world is a little different. So I'm trying to live the life of my heroes and do that which scares me more and challenges me more and to do the things I don't know if I can do them. The ones with something like I have never done like a comedy. I've done stuff that had comedy in it, but doing a comedy was like, all right, Mr. Comedy Nerd. Show them what you got, and give it a shot. And 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 I, I felt that way about Pearl and the ones where where they when they come out, I have like real opening night jitters. Like I'm real, I have real anxiety 
about them coming out and I know, oh, that's the good feeling. Like if I'm like every, you hear writers talk about all the time, like the thing that's right up to embarrassing is the good stuff. Right. And, uh, <laughs> and, that, uh, and, and, and knowing that and feeling it are two different things, but once it's out and like, oh, okay, that means, yeah, that means that I'm in the right place. So right now I have the privilege to be able to create new stuff with my friends. The audience is allowing us to do it. I would be a fool not to take full opportunity to create as much new stuff as I possibly can. Also, not to overly answer the question, when I look back on things, the only thing I kick myself for is more new stuff, please. You know, I I think about George Lucas created Star Wars because they wouldn't let him do Flash Gordon. And I tell all my friends that when they want to work on Batman, I'm like, okay, but where's your Star Wars? It might might be in in that inspiration to do Batman might also be your Star Wars. So I'm not saying don't do Batman if you want to do Batman, but boy, it's exciting to create new stuff from scratch. It's exciting. It's scary. It's all the things. I love that. And Mike, you would sell out at a moment's notice, right? Yeah. I just, you know, like, like I, I also, I'm not like, I know some people like leave Marvel and DC. They go, fuck Marvel, fuck DC. I I don't feel that in my heart. A lot of people are doing amazing work. I wish them all the feeling I had when I was doing it. I felt completely fulfilled and I want everyone else who gets there to also have that feeling as well. So, and that's again, by the way, tomorrow, someone like CB might call me up with something like a fuck. I have, I have. (laughs) (laughs) Great caveat at the end. (laughs) Yeah. But I, um, but I, I will say at the moment, this is my journey is set for the next couple of years of doing like all our books are, are scheduled for the next couple of years. It's all creator owned. And that's very exciting. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I love that, honestly. Like, we've been yeah. really happy and really excited to see the things that both of you guys are doing. It's just fun to pick up a new book from both of you at, at this yeah. point. Not that it wasn't before, but just seeing things like Murder, Inc. and Jack, Jack and Rose and not knowing where it's going to go is very exciting. Like we said, Blue Book, awesome. The Ones, hilarious. So this is great. I'm very excited, guys. Uh, I'm looking forward to more from you coming forward. Well, thank you. If if you if you can give Mike Oming a follow, he's been posting um, work on Murder Inc. and Blue Book and all the other mm-hmm. projects that he's working on with uh, Taki and with other people. And you get to see um, an artist in the zone. Uh, look, I've known Mike. Yeah. Uh, where are we at? Twenty five years now, Mike. I I, like I, I, yeah. I watched Mike as a, as his biggest fan. I can't believe the run he's on right now. It's unbelievable. Oh, thanks, man. That's awesome. your thanks. beautiful cartoon creativity. I love it. And I, I will we, say to tie into this on my, yeah. my YouTube channel, I recorded the entire process for the covers for oh, Murder, oh, wow. which cool. all connect. It's a six issue connecting cover. So it's like awesome. 20 something hours of live art process. And I go over like using photo reference and Oh, what a resource. And reworking stuff cool, and trying yeah. to connect things all together. And, and you just, you just Google the name on YouTube or yeah, YouTube and you'll find it there. Awesome. That's and uh, before I let you guys go, I do want to bring up one comment here from YouTube because I thought it was very sweet. Sure. This is from Stray Beans. I had a baby six months ago and I named him Christian, partially after Christian Walker from Powers, which I kept secret from my wife. Well, oh, man, out. now she knows. Secrets out. <laughs> now she knows. <laughs> well, I, I'm thrilled about this because I, and Mike knows this, like, before I had kids, I used up all my favorite baby names on our character. <laughs> like, the, the names I really love. And by the time we had children, not only had I used up all the names, but then I had also tortured all the characters in terrible ways. So like <laughs> Jessica and Dina, like I told my daughters, I had one, there's a world in which you were all named Jessica and Dina and, 
Uh, but I couldn't name you that after what we did to Dean of Pilgrim and Powers. I couldn't like. I couldn't <laughs> so I, I, it makes me thrill that when these names uh, find their way out in the world, and and we've had a, quite a few miles have, have come into the world since like Spider Verse, that. and that's kind of amazing. Yeah, it, it really is warm. It really is lovely. That's so. awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, guys, thank you so much for coming on. Thank Congratulations you. and everything. Oh, Brian, you. enjoy your Whoppers. Uh, yeah, yeah. Get them. Uh, get appreciate hungry. it very much. Thanks. You got pleasure, it. And guys. you can find us all um, as social media devolves into madness. You can um, follow <laughs> me on Substack. Mike is yeah. on uh, Instagram and on Patreon. Uh, and our Substack is filled with, uh, I have a new comic, Fortune Glory the Musical, uh, coming out every week. Uh, a new uh, textbook called Creation that's coming out every week, and um, our masterclass, which is starting in less than an hour on on Substack Zoom. So get uh, there, awesome. That that that's that's the place to see us. All right, thank you guys awesome. again. Have a great night. So much, thank you both. Thank, thank you, you so much. Thank you. <laughs> All right, yeah, there we oh, go. Man. Brian Michael Bendis and Michael Avon Oming. Don't oh, forget wow. to check out Murder Inc. Jagger Rose. Coming out tomorrow from Dark Horse Comics. Yeah, it's awesome. We'll be talking and about it on the stack. We'll be yeah, talking about will. it on the stack. We'll oh yeah, give it a favor. We'll be stacking about we'll it. On the top. Down the river. We'll be stacking about it. <laughs> we'll be We're going to be stacking. <laughs> yes, uh, and that that was great. What a great time talking to them, uh, oh, guys. Man. We so, are going to move on with our next section, which is my favorite section because you all make it up. It is your audience questions. All right. Yeah. And for audience questions, all you got to do is drop a question basically wherever you're watching the podcast except Twitter because Twitter doesn't work properly anymore. But what are you guys <laughs> What are you guys drinking tonight? What you drinking? What you drinking? Um I had a uh, cocktail, which was Mezcal, triple sec, grapefruit juice. It's my drink of this. It's my spring drink, and I'm loving it. Ooh, mm. interesting. That sounds nice. And now I'm drinking um, uh, red wine. Excellent. I, I'm still working on the uh, Murder Incorporated, by the way. Ooh, that sounds lovely. Yes. Uh, so they have these uh, these things in uh, Baltimore called crushes. I don't know if it's just Baltimore or, or widely more spread, but they have them here. And basically, it's a fruit juice and vodka. Uh, and vodka. Uh, the way you say vodka. Vodka. Is, yeah. Is that so, called? Is that called a peat trap? Is that the name yeah. of the drink? <laughs> uh, so the, these are uh, they put them in cans. They call them smashes, and uh, mm. got a little fruit punch in vodka. It's like 10%. in Return of the Jedi when the the meat was hanging and it was just a chewy trap. That's what <laughs> would be hanging for the peat trap. Oh yeah, I'd fall for it every time. All right, we got a question here from Derek Mainhart. Other than superheroes, what is your favorite genre of comics? Great question. I like uh, that. Great question. Uh, I mean, I gotta say it's like crime with a twist. Crime comics with a little mm -hmm. bit of an angle. I think mm -hmm. is like that a little bit of a lemon. Like um, I mean, the stuff we've been talking about uh, with all the Bendis books that do that um, and uh, got to throw out like that Texas blood has like uh, it's crime, but focused in a particular area. And then each new arc sort of heightens and takes in a different direction. I've been loving that lately. Pete, what about you? What's your favorite non-superhero genre? I think Murder Falcon. I think it's the answer to that. Um, it's a very so, focused genre. Uh -huh. Very yeah, singular. Yeah. Genre. It's, uh, What's your favorite Murder Falcon comic book, Pete? Murder Falcon. I'm oh, going to say yeah, Murder Falcon. What was your second genre? favorite? Yeah, your well, second Coming second in second favorite. is Murder Falcon, which was close. It was hard for me to rank those. <laughs> yeah, hard to do that. Uh, do you actually have a favorite genre, or are you done? Violence? Is that a genre? Joy Clo oh, yeah. Joy Clo suggests rom-com. 
Yeah. Oh, well, that's, you know, non You actually don't really like rom-com comics. I think Justin likes Well, over the years, yeah. I have, uh, you know, become a little bit more like Justin, whereas mm-hmm. I enjoy a good relation. You know what I mean? Where in the, beginning, in the beginning, I was like, Justin, who cares about these made-up relationships? Now I'm in too deep. So, uh, yeah, thank mm-hmm. you for giving us a little bit more light there. Uh, and uh, for me, I would say porn. Let's move on to the next yeah. question. Wow. <laughs> Not surprising. Wow. Not surprising. Ben is talking about truth, uh, being truthful, really opening <laughs> yeah. you up, Alex. And I love it. Uh, no, no. I think. No, 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 no. I actually yeah, think yeah, I've yeah. been very into horror comics lately, to be perfectly honest. Like, uh, I, I always like horror, but there's something about it that there's been some really good horror comics. Would we. Started out doing the show, there was like lock and key, and that was the thing that we called on. And now I think there are legit scary comics all over the place, and it's awesome. Well, I think there's like comics like Ice Cream Man, but then beyond that, there's been sort of a renaissance of just straight up horror books that are like one offs or even limited series in the last year. It's been crazy how horror's caught on. Yeah. This is from Prime Energy. Question for Pete, the art Uh-oh. expert of the show. What are some of your favorite art forward comics? Step by Bloody Step is one of my faves. Oh, first off, uh, Prime yeah. Energy, good call on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, there has been a, uh, what I call a renaissance of non uh, words in comics, which has just been glorious. Yes, a renaissance know. of non words. <laughs> yeah, so it's been nice to get uh, just, you know, let's get rid of all these stupid ideas and thoughts and just let the art do the uh, uh, talking. Um, yeah, I don't know, man. I think that, uh, you know, um, the Beasts of Burdens, uh, you know, comic when that first started, and that mm-hmm. was, you know, that was all watercolors, and it was such an interesting uh, kind of uh, genre to see uh, kind Jill of horror. Thompson, right? Yeah, Jill Thompson, yeah, just to see kind of like intensity in a watercolor was an interesting kind of mood. And uh, it really kind of took me to an interesting place. So uh, I I just think stuff that moves you, stuff that's different, that kind of jumps out at the panels at you is always amazing. Uh, I would throw out, if I may answer, uh, Pete, our Mm -hmm. expert of the show, if I could jump in here. Um, The first thought that comes to mind here is Art Brute, the um, Mm. the, uh, W. Mm -hmm. Maxwell Prince comic. Yeah, yeah. uh, That is not only using a lot of different types of art, but is about art. And I thought that sort of, while still having words, uh, it's not part of the non-words renaissance, something we uh, adhere to now. Uh, it, it really does like uh, push the form and it makes you look, it's, you're looking at art, but also thinking about how art works on our brains and, and lives. Yeah, I don't know if this is exactly the answer you're looking for either, but I'd say a lot of the Jeff Loeb, Tim Sale stuff definitely leans into oh, Tim yeah. Sale's art. Like, Jeff Loeb tends to get very wordy and plotty often, but the Tim Sale books he does are the ones that just lead into pure emotion and the character and pushing that forward and kind of, like, his words take a little bit of a step back there. So I I always like that stuff. This is from Edward Doherty. The Flash isn't out yet, but why didn't they just make a Michael Keaton Batman movie instead? Come on! That would have been fucking awesome. I would think that maybe it would be... A lot of stunt double, not Michael. I don't know. I don't know what kind of mobility he's uh, uh, at, but that would be the well, only thing that I wish. Would... He's in his 70s. He can move around, right? Yeah. Sure, yeah. He's but, dancing. I mean, 12 hours a day, you know, day after day, I think sure. we'd get a little. 
Absolutely. You know, I but, wish I could ask him if he wanted to get nuts and find out if he would get nuts. Oh, man. <laughs> but, Doherty, great, great question, great question because that's, that's the reason I'm going to see this fucking movie is because Michael Keaton is Batman. So it's like... You know, wow. well, I, well I mean, they got the oldest crotchetiest viewers <laughs> to come in for the movie via this. I mean, I feel like the original idea was to get towards a Michael Keaton Batman movie again, like a Dark Knight Returns type thing, because they had him in Batgirl, they had him in The Flash, have him in the coming in The Flash, and I think the idea was to have him be the new Batman going forward to the DC universe. So no. they were going to put him in various movies. I assume they wanted to make a Batman sequel with him. I- I think it's no. it's a headline. I don't think they wanted to do a full-on Batman movie with Michael Keaton as the lead because I think that that's like the opposite direction. That's literally appealing to to people who have seen all the older movies. Like I, I think that what they want to do is get the headline of that and have it. How, how dare you say movie. that? How dare you say all of this on Beetlejuice to date announcement day? <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Man, that guy's going to be busy going. Yeah. I I want to throw this out to you. This is something that Pete's going to get very mad at me, but I was thinking about earlier. And when I was thinking about it earlier, I was like, Pete's going to get mad at me if I say this on the show. Uh, Who do you think? I love when I think that during the day. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Who do you think is a bigger, like, I'm at the end of my life. Let me just get out a bunch of sequels and shit or whatever person. Michael Keaton or Harrison Ford at this point? Oh, what kind of thought is that? What the fuck kind of... I mean, that's what they're bullshit. both doing, though. Harrison Ford has basically given up at this point. Go well, fuck yourself, dude. That fucking Apple Plus movie was fucking... TV show. Is TV fantastic. Show. It is. It's great. a fucking... It, it is great. Kills it. The reason, and he also did a Tyler Sheridan show, but all of that adds up to him being like, well, I got to get a bunch of projects now. <laughs> got to well, hurry and, up. Here. But I don't think neither of them are like trying to make money. I think they're just people who are like, yeah, I'll do that. Also, Michael Keaton just had a huge win with Dope Sick. Like, he's still out there making moves. Totally. Birdman. Harrison I mean, Ford. We can go Birdman, on for hours. A, that was pushing a decade ago, I think. But I, I do think that Harrison Ford is like an actor's actor. He's never been one to deal with any of the bullshit. He's like, I don't know. I just want to do this. This is fucking fun. So he's still feeling that way, I think. Indy 5 coming. He's still moving. Great. Good answer. <laughs> All right. This is from uh, Schweikler. Audience question. Uh, you guys don't need to title an audience question. I'll just pull it in as an audience question. I also don't need to read it. Also, we myself. should say, take a moment and say, happy <laughs> wow, birthday, Alex. Kev. Happy yeah, birthday, Kevin. Come on. Birthday. Happy Alex, birthday, don't, Kevin. You don't puppet take loving you... mother. Happy birthday. Wow. <laughs> I, I hope you uh, got many puppets today, Kevin. Yeah. Uh, what were you going to say, I Justin? No, he didn't. I was going to say, you don't need to take something off your plate. audience question what are some of your favorite recent throwbacks to the 1960s or 1970s i guess the 90s (laughs) (laughs) i assume in comics or just in general i don't know interesting i guess maybe every person who grew up then and that's all they talk about yeah all the time all of our parents uh how about in comics the scumbag that was a pretty good throwback to the 70s great answer alex i love that answer I think uh, Blackula is a great example of this. Um, Recency just, bias. Like yeah, recency yeah, bias. yeah. What am I, Justin over here? Come on. Yeah, uh, no, but no, you're not it's uh, it's exciting that we're getting more of it. You know what I mean? And also, I love this new perspective and uh, new idea behind it. So very excited about it. Uh, the first answer that comes to mind is sort of a weird one, but I would say Ryan North's Fantastic Four feels like it's mm. going back mm-hmm. into 
real like science premise based storytelling for the Fantastic Four. It's all about them and very family oriented. But a lot of it is getting into like very specific concepts. What felt, which is what it felt like back in sort of the Silver Age Fantastic Four stuff. Uh, our next question. Oh, were you going to say something else, Pete? And then I'm just, you know, I'm very excited for the return of Disco. You know, I can't mm-hmm. wait. Yep, it's coming back, man. It's coming back again. Coming back. Uh, this one. Ooh, this is this is poke of the bear. I don't know if I should even bring it in, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Ramsey Hassan says, heard Jordan D. White give Pete a shout-out on iFanboy. Josh from iFanboy said he went to college with Pete. Any chance of a CBC versus iFanboy crossover? Uh, well, first off, uh, oh, listen gonna, to that I'm going to just take out my headphones. Okay, great. Yeah, First off, I listened Ooh. to that interview and was a little disappointed in the way Josh dismissed me like we didn't want to have history together, so that hurt a little bit. But we have done crossovers. We've had them on our show. We've been on their show. We've seen them at conventions. And, yeah, I went to college with all those guys. Um, and but yeah. they're, they're your greatest enemies. Uh, maybe one of them. We have a little history. We almost got in a fight. <laughs> Ooh, which one? This is juicy. This but, is uh, juicy yeah, stuff. yeah. Which one of the, um, those guys is has a? Funny it's the one that most looks like Zalbin, if that helps at all. Uh, wow, that's yeah. <laughs> that explains everything. Does that explain everything? Yeah, it's all wow. coming together, man. Oh man. Oh cool. Uh, yeah, you. But you were most mad at Jordan, right? Was that the thing, Pete? Well, from that interview. Yeah. No, what was just hard was, first off, I was really drunk when I was listening to it. But secondly, like, I hard. was mad because I couldn't ask any questions. You know what I mean? Like, it was hard to just be a yeah. passenger on that ride. because That's like, like, a, like most podcasts, except for ours. The yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I get to be on Serial a bunch, though. That's the one exception. That is crazy. Oh, well, that's, yeah. Yeah. I don't know what that means, but congratulations. And Pete, you should know, if you shout loud enough when you're watching Ted Lasso, they will... You, it does affect the show. Oh, well, good. That's good news. <laughs> yeah. that good Those news. scenes where Jason Sudeikis is like, huh? What? <laughs> What'd you say? <laughs> What'd you say? What'd you say, Pete? <laughs> hey, Pete, this is the 30th time you watched this episode. Why don't you turn it off? Do something else. <laughs> <laughs> Pete, please. For the love of God, turn this Pete, off. Believe it's in something to go else. To bed, Pete. Come on. Uh, what were you saying, Pete? Well, I, uh, I was oh, I wanted drunk. to switch gears. We established that. Oh, yes. Yeah. I wanted to switch gears, and uh, it was funny because when we were talking about uh, mafia stories, uh, you know, growing up in Rochester. Uh, oh, the iFanboy Mafia. Let's get into it. They ran a whole mob. Like, it was a whole like projection racket. I'm stepping Be away. That's how they got the fucking money for their fucking podcast. The it's mob, it's man. A, it's a mobcast. I was, I was stepping away them, from heroes. The, the question. I was stepping away from the question for a little bit. That's what I said when I was switching gears. Um, I didn't want to tell the story while we had a very important people on, but uh, in Rochester, the east part of Rochester is called East Rochester because it is crazy Italian and, uh, you know, uh, there's a lot of influence. Uh, and growing up, I worked at a golf course that wasn't far from there, and this guy would show up every week with a different car. And he would just pull out this wad uh, and uh, peel me off some. And he would call me Little Beatty. He gave you Little Beatty. Take care of me today. And uh, <laughs> and one time I thought I was going to get whacked because I accidentally forgot 
the make of his new Cadillac and I put it in this other guy's Cadillac, his golf clubs. And, uh, you know, he called the country club and was like, well, fuck the little baby, put my clubs. And I was like, holy shit. And I was running around checking people's cars uh, and I finally found it and I thought I was going to get killed. But it was, uh, it was crazy to kind of see that growing up. Like these guys could do anything they wanted on the course. Like they took range balls to the first tee and like you know, like just and in golf terms, that, that's a crazy thing. That's a crazy, you yeah. Do yeah. Not, but you, but you like do it was not uh, take range balls to the first. It was, uh, and by the way, Pete, I just want to mention thank you for not offering up this relevant story during our discussion, and instead staying silent for forty five minutes. <laughs> well, I didn't want to. You know, they were. You know, they, they don't want to fucking hear my story. You know what I mean? What? It's like no, oh, it's it's of course they do. It was a discussion, man. Come on. But anyways, this, this isn't I mob boy. Am I no, right? boy. Good. Slam. Oh, oh Alex, you're sounding Stop. a lot like the guy Pete hates. <laughs> whose name as whose name as we all know is Alex Zelt. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I'm on both podcasts. Exactly. That's great. Uh, Jeff, real this. quick, Derek Mainhart, <laughs> I would love to read Little Petey Adventures. All I could think of was that episode of the Pete television show of him running around being like, the mob guy's going to kill me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I will say, just to wrap up this question, we like the iFanboy guys. We'd be happy to have them on any time. What a um, peacemaker. There you go. Yeah. I don't know if Jordan's ever going to get asked back after that podcast, but I guess we'll see. Wow. Wait, what does that um, mean? You, no, from Jordan? you. I it's love you. Jordan. You were mad. I love you. you were mad. upset at him. Yeah, I was upset because I couldn't have a conversation with him. He was bringing uh, up these ideas, okay. and I was just like, what the fuck reason. do you mean, Jordan? And Here's what we need to do. We need to have Jordan back on to yeah. continue the discussion for the iPhone. Yeah, I'm going to just be like, okay, Jordan, you brought this up in this podcast, and I want to address yeah. this. Yeah. And well, I'll talk to the iFanboy guys to add one of those boxes uh, at the end of their podcast where it's like, this adventure is continued over in comic. <laughs> yeah. If you if you like this podcast, you would like to hear more. Yeah, yeah. and we'll do it on our podcast. Hear... We'll do uh, CI Fanboy one thirty eight for more. That's a classic to be continued. Yeah, right there. Uh, hmm. <laughs> All right, David Quintley says <laughs> I'm going to parse through this. Spider Man is Guardians the saving grace for the superhero movies? Have not seen yet. Let me say, uh, so... I've been calling myself Spider-Man <laughs> with a lot of folks here, so this is a question for me. <laughs> I think I think the question is, is Guardians the saving grace for superhero movies? We've been discussing this a lot. There's a lot of talk about superhero movie fatigue, and is the superhero movie genre over? Is Guardians the saving grace for superhero movies? What do you guys think? Well, uh, it's the second highest earning movie of the year behind Super Mario Brothers. Good sign. Uh, it feels like a good movie, but I do think to say it's going to save superhero movies is an overstatement because what it is is just a really great Guardians movie, which is mm -hmm. like a good superhero Marvel movie franchise. So like, it's not like this big audience expanding movie. If anything, it's just like a great successful payoff to the people who've already been watching these and have stuck with it throughout all of the movies. Yeah, uh, I I agree on that. I think we are in a period there have been enough misses at this point, at least in the popular opinion, whatever you think about the movies individually, that every movie is going to have to prove itself for a while. And 
I honestly don't know. Like, I legitimately think, and I know this is a very nihilistic way of looking at it, but I legitimately think Marvel is a place right now where they need to have another 10 years of nonstop hits with all critical acclaim in order for people to be like, okay, great, Marvel is a dominant force. Well, and I, that that's fair. Or It's not that, fair. Well, that, that's but I think it's fair. To they say have to have ten years of hits so they can be shut here's up. What I, I mean, I'm not talking about how I feel personally. I'm talking about like the popular narrative because what happens is through news reports as well as through how fans interact with anything, there is a narrative created. So the part of the narrative we are in with Marvel right now is it is in its struggle era. So where does Guardians fit in on that? Well, and I think to your point, they need to keep succeeding because the story now isn't about the creative swings they're taking in the movies. It's about success versus failure. Like that's what Marvel movies are like. Was it, did it hit or did it not hit? As opposed to like, was this a really good movie? And so I think that's why the real answer for this question, the saving grace of superhero movies is Spider-Verse, I think. Spider-Verse has the chance to be like, this movie's such a hit. This type of creative swing is what is the future of superhero movies in reinventing or the Blue Beetle. genre. Or Blue, Blue Beetle. Blue Beetle, maybe, but like, and that looks like a good movie, but it still does feel like it's in the box based on the trailer of these other movies where it's just like a good version of this movie. I haven't seen it yet. So. Yeah, and we'll see. I saw the Marvel's movie trailer a couple of times before Guardians, and that looks very fun as well. So maybe we'll see that these last couple of movies were an aberration and we'll move forward from there. Who knows? Uh, this is from Derek. What is your favorite genre of porn? Personally, <laughs> I would say horror for me. What about you? Yeah, you, we, we got that. We know. Would you stop repeating H- horror yourself? Horror porn. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're really into it. I just shout at the screen until they add, do what I uh, am to, asking them. Oh, Ted Lasso porn? Yeah. Where he's like, exactly. hey, Pete. Pete. Hey, I know you're super turned on right see, now. Turn this you off. You watch it 30 do? times, Pete. Believe. I believe I'm about to come. <laughs> oh my god! Dude. I just have that? Alex forward me whatever he's into. Let me tell you, <laughs> let me tell you reader, it's uh, some it's interesting a... stuff. Yeah. Here's one that I think is maybe going to be the biggest fight we're going to have on the podcast tonight. This is yes. from Nelson Kelso, big fan of Sweet Tooth and the podcast. Just curious, which oh, candies no. almost <laughs> made the list? We can't. Didn't. This show's already oh, running long. Yeah, come on, it. dude. Maybe what the fuck? Let's get into a discussion <laughs> this was, about this. this These was, assholes were like, ah, I'm sick of candy. I don't fucking like the idea of candy anymore. Let's fucking First off, <laughs> don't spoil the end of our Candyman podcast. No, it's all right. We had a fight about warheads that I couldn't have contemplated having <laughs> with any people in my entire life. He refused to eat warheads like it was warheads eating. Warheads fucking suck! Yeah. It's candy. Oh, my God. Yeah, wow. uh, yeah. I don't know. I, I think we texted each other a bunch of lists of candies, and ultimately Pete was like, only watching chocolate for the most part. I wanted... And you have strong feelings about candy. Yeah, surprise. Wow. I have strong feelings about things. So, yeah. Um, I have also have a problem with candy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, oh, yeah, I so I had, uh, I had some strong opinions about the different kinds of candy. And then these guys weren't into it. They're like, man, I don't know. I don't like it. Yeah. I don't, I don't think it was much like Warheads was the biggest fight in season three of the Sweet Tooth podcast. But I think mostly it was sending a list particularly in the second half of the season and being like what do you think pete please don't fight with us just choose something so we can move and if i remember correctly it was pete sending a list and us being like we've covered 
chocolate with caramel and nuts five times. <laughs> it Let's doesn't try matter. To shake if it's it a, a different candy bit. bar, it's a different uh, candy bar. Yeah. yeah. The the maple syrup, uh, that's the spoiler for the last episode, is we chug straight maple syrup from the uh, jug, if you yes. want to call it that. That was, that was, that, that was a little delicious. bit of a fight. Whether it's that's delicious. candy or not. And ultimately, you ended up loving it, Pete. So there I did, right. but it's not a candy. Yeah. No. Tell your tongue that. Uh, Tell your is, tongue that, Pete. I wanted Rolos. This is from Comics with Kids, the Comics Corner Box. Do you think there could be a cowboy comic book revival since shows like Yellowstone are so popular? Great Ooh, question. Good. Yeah, I think a that's great a great call, and I would love that. I would love just some... I mean, you could do it in superhero genre with someone like Jonah Hex, a character that I'm surprised we haven't seen more of in light of Yellowstone. Uh, someone at DC wants to hit that up. I think we're ready for it. Or things like um, East of West, where mm-hmm. we get sort of like interesting takes on the Western genre, using the Western genre in different ways. Well, the thing that's, I, I think, actually kind of, <laughs> this episode is wild. Uh, the thing that's kind of interesting about this, actually, is you would think and there certainly have been Western comics, but you think the sort of thing that Yellowstone is, which is soap opera, would lend itself to comics because comics are also essentially soap opera. But I think comics have become more premise-driven, like we were talking to Bendis and Obing about a little bit. Um, so it it they've kind of moved on from that a little bit in a certain way. Um, right. That said, I do think somebody doing like a Jonah Hex thing where... He settles down on a ranch or something like that would do very well. I love John you know? Hex. Yeah. Yeah. And just to shout out to see a recent one, there was the Grootfall issue of Guardians of the Galaxy. Yes. That great was call. Western. I don't know if that's going to continue with further issues, but if you've got a Western hankering, you can check that out. It That issue did feel like it was setting up the next Guardians arc. And mm-hmm. th- that issue, while is also Western, it is so much Firefly slash Serenity that if you like those books, get it. Uh, this is from Derek Mainhart. Audience question. What are some of your favorite audience questions? <laughs> great stuff. Oh, man. We've had I like some checking great... in with Alex's porn habits. Yeah. Right, yeah. Right. There you go. Uh, this is from Prime Energy. Is there a image or boom comic you would want next to be adapted for a movie or streaming? Oh, man, yeah, like any of the Image books. Uh, Image and Boom have been killing it. Uh, they've just been cranking out such really creative, amazing stuff, and the art is just absolutely spectacular. So, yeah, they've been One really of the things doing... that I've been really loving for Boom that I would love to see as a TV show someday is they have these comics about a character called Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh They've been doing a really good go. job, and it would be really cool as a as a TV show. You have been loving the Buffy reboot stuff. Yeah. Buffy yeah. Reboot. But I actually want to say it. I know they are adapting this for TV. Um, Something is Killing the Children is the main thing for Boom that I'm like... Yeah, very excited for. Um, Let me get that. Is it nails? The um, what is the that Texas blood shouts? uh, Or sorry, rain, rain. Mm. Um, The uh, the uh, Joe Hill comic, the the comic based on the Joe Hill story. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Uh, And let's see. Uh, Comics with my kids says, "Is it a bad idea to ask about LinkedIn when asking an audience question?" Oh, <laughs> oh fire! Deep cut. Hit it, Alex. You yeah. got to tell the story. 
Uh, sure. So the story is we were do- this is back when we were doing the live show. Do we have time? One of our. I'll do the short version of this. Oh my god! Uh, we were doing the live this show. Show is and- already so long, and yeah, no, I know. But we're gonna go three to four hours for this one. Wow. Uh, the <laughs> we were doing the live show, and somebody stood up and was like, "Hey, um, I I have a question. Why haven't you responded to my request on LinkedIn yet?" And it was somebody who had applied to a job. That I was hiring for. Who I think it's this the... person. I think it's yeah. this person. Oh my god, it's definitely not. Uh, but it was somebody who had applied for a job that I was hiring for, who came to the live show to find out why I was not hiring her for a job. But when she wait, how did she frame it up? Because it was definitely like we all thought I was about to be implicated in some sort of sex scandal or something like that. It was very she... much like Jacques Hughes. <laughs> yeah, she was like, "I have something to ask you." It was. I, I think it was something like, "Why ha- haven't you hired me, Alex? I hit you up on LinkedIn." Like it was like a very. <laughs> I was. I thought you were going to lose your mind. Yeah. Oh my God. That was the craziest thing ever. And I ended up talking to her after, and I was like, "This is why I don't respond on LinkedIn." And just for so everybody knows, I don't use LinkedIn. Like I pop it there sure every all the time. I'm on there like constantly all day long, but. Anyway, that is it for your audience questions. Yeah, thank you. Thank yeah, you, no problem. Audience. We're going to move on to the next section, which is trivia. And for that, we're going to turn it over to Pete LePage. All right. All right. Well, this is the part we give back to you, the lovely audience. Uh, normally, it's a, a time where uh, we will give someone a gift card to Midtown Comics or Long John Silvers for some reasons. But I thought this could be a fun time where we could donate the money and I could just do a little making fun of Justin for a little bit. You know what I mean? Just some Wait, Justin what? shots. By the you way, real quick, mean? Derek asked, why haven't you responded on my to my quest on Tinder? That's because you haven't sent me any uh, horror porn yet. Derek. Ah, that's a good quote. That's a good yeah. point. Uh, yeah, so I thought I could... Uh, uh, play the part of uh, the uh, me doing the trivia, and then I could also be Justin answering the trivia questions. I thought that would be a fun. It is far too fun. late in the night for me to understand what you're talking yeah, about, but know. take it away. All right, great, <laughs> great, great. All right, so here we go. Uh, today's trivia is a topical comic news, and a small nod to the legend Harry Belafonte. R.I.P. Please listen to all R. I. three please. options. Uh, before making your selection. Here we go. Question number one. On June 20th, Tom King will come out with this number one DC comic. Is it A, Penguin, B, Used to Be My Venom, or C, A Toe for Grace? All right, we're going to go to Justin for this one. Um, (laughs) Yo, what's up? I'm JT Sis. I don't know if you can tell by my cool background. I got a Christmas tree and a rake back here. What's up? Ah, man, I'm so busy from being out on the road. You know, I'm a line producer most of the day. Uh, I, you know, I see what you did there with the Spider-Man rap, because I'm a nerd, too. It's A, though, obviously. Wait, I'm sorry. Is is the concept here that you're both doing the trivia? I'm sorry, what? I'm sorry. I wasn't uh, here for a second. That was uh, JT Sizz. Oh talking uh if this you is somehow crazier me. than when kevin uses a puppet to do yeah that. okay here we go yeah the other guy misspoke when he said this episode was wild all right here we go question number two what is being justin question number two what is being teased uh that will happen in the quiet council uh in the upcoming immortal x-men number 12 is it a it will erupt in violence 
B, we'll finally start to deal with the infrastructure issues on this island, or is it C, Adam Driver? All right. Oh man! Uh, first off, I, you know I love what they're doing, um, uh, and obviously it's A because I'm an island boy. I'm an island boy. Oh my god! Uh, number three, high. IDW is coming out with a horror comic on June 14th. Written by whom? Is it A. Steve Niles, B. Laura Stop Shaving, or C. Laura Harrier? Oh, oh man! Oh, I was gonna. Hey, I see what you did there, man. Uh, and also, the comic is called Burnmore. Uh, got you, Pete. Stay away from wells, kids. Thank you, thank you. All right. Wait, is it done? It's done. It's done. I mean, it's not done. It's never done. It's never uh, done. That piece of paper was real, right there that you held up. I love it. That's great. Uh, did I Justin stole uh, my niece's uh, art uh, supplies to make that uh, background? Uh, oh, shouts wow. to Ramsey Hassan. This is Pete's Joker moment. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! Uh, I'm not quite sure what just happened, but mm-hmm. assuming that I do understand, first of all, who is the what was the secret movie or TV show you were referencing? Pete? Oh, thank you for asking. I was talking about the 2018 hit. Black Klansman. Mm. Oh, nice. And what would you like to donate to, Pete? Oh, I don't, uh, I don't know. I Whatever. think he means to ask Justin. Yeah, I would oh. say we, we support the uh, Writers Guild, you know? Throw us some money over there. Let's buy some pizzas for the... Yeah, yeah. Some pe- we could buy two pizzas. Yeah, two pizzas. Or some Long John Silvers. They would love that. Oh, they probably Fish would, yeah. on the line. Fish <laughs> on the line. <laughs> Anybody want these fish sticks these guys bought? <laughs> <laughs> They're loose. They're loose, They're fish, loose sticks. fish sticks. You like that, right, writers? And here's the thing. They love it. They don't care. They, they got no morals. They're hungry. The writers, they don't got any money. They're going to eat whoa, fish whoa, sticks whoa, off whoa, the whoa. floor if they want to. You know what I'm talking about? I work for a studio. Yeah, As I, I we all know, new comic books come out all the time. What are you guys looking forward to that's coming out this week? Uh, I'm looking forward to the Sandman Universe Nightmare Country, The Glass House, number two. Wow. Look at you, Pete. You've changed. Mm-hmm. Justin, what about you? What are you looking forward to? Uh, great question. I mean, shouts to Murder, Inc. from our Yeah, Murder, Inc., uh, for sure. on the show. But I also want to shout out a comic. You know, I've been liking, there's uh, two Iron Man books that are coming out tomorrow. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, the Invincible Iron Man number six, six by Jerry Dugan and the Dukes. Um, the Dukes. And I'm Iron Man number three. I feel like Iron Man goes overexposed naturally because of the uh, MCU. But uh, these two books are really putting a nice little package together for Iron Man in the Marvel Universe. Uh, so please check those out. Yeah, I've definitely been enjoying I Am <clears throat> Iron Man in particular, which is telling some fascinating done-in-one stories. I'll give a shout-out to Miracle Man number 5, a book that I'm just fascinated to check out in terms of the development of it, like we've been talking about. Um, also, this is already out, so I'll give a shout-out to this, but Green Lantern number 1, which is basically like yeah. Top Gun Maverick, but set in the yeah, DC gonna... universe. Oh, man, that's what I, I had so in mind. I'm you sorry. My well, bit. you might hear very similar things on the Stack Podcast, which will have all of these reviews and many more books. Wednesday, 
at 9 a.m. in the Stack feed and also in the Comic Book Club feed. And folks, that is it for this week's show. A couple of people we want to thank. We want to thank Rodney Barnes for coming on. Yes. Dracula, yeah. Legend. Such a legend. Also, other legends, Brian Michael Bendis and Michael Avon Oving for talking about Dark Horse Comics, Murder, Inc., Jagger Rose, or Jaeger Rose, if you prefer. Definitely check it out. That's coming out tomorrow. Next week on the show, Asa Wheatley is going to be here to talk about Saga of the Shield Maiden, and Jason Copland, Copland, maybe, is going to be here to talk about Zoop's Full Tilt. Also, a bunch of podcasts you can check out. Candyman, as we mentioned earlier. Our Sweet Tooth podcast just finished season two. We did an interview with showrunner Jim Nickel. He chose the winner of our Syrup Cup. It was very Ooh, fun to chat with him very again. Fun. Sons of a Gun, our DC podcast. We just put up a required reading episode all about All-Star Superman, where we talked about that for an hour. That was very fun. And Marvel Vision, our Marvel podcast. We talked about Guardians of the Galaxy 3. Our spoiler review came went up. Riverdale After Dark, our Riverdale podcast is posting weekly. Patreon.com slash comic book club to support the show and all the shows we do. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple, Android, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice at Comic Book Live on Twitter. Comic Book Club Live on Instagram or TikTok. ComicBookClubLive.com for this podcast and many more. Until next time, good night! Thanks, everybody! I gotta put my kids to bed! <laughs>